new on CuriosityStream. Have researchers figured out a mathematical formula for success? A clearer understanding of how success happens could lead us to change the rules. Gain a new perspective on getting ahead. It's science of success. And the U.S. won the space race, but not without help from the Nazis. They were just years ahead of us. Meet NASA's rocket scientists of the Third Reich on the moon landing and the Nazis. Watch now on CuriosityStream. Annual plans are $20, just $1.67 a month. Visit CuriosityStream.com. A Daryl in the wild, in, in his the wild, natural, in natural habitat. habitat. <laughs> What's he doing? Oh no! Hey, don't look now. What's he doing? going to be i am getting greedy right i mean i i have to admit i have been texting you and saying hey tk like what do you think this thing is worth now maybe we should list this is not this is not for for the show this is truth yeah and that was yesterday i think right yeah which i I said like how good no i'm just i'm wondering like how good of a tent do you have when you you sell the house and then you're living in the park i just want to know like what what rating is your tent suitable for like how low temperature can it go and this is the thing right this is the thing and we don't want to get into this now before our guest right was that a toilet flushing did i just hear a toilet at my house i don't know shower it was a shower turning on really yeah those, those are, those are good ears still. We got, That's about the only thing that works. We got really anymore. high pressure at my house. Okay. The wet, the water pressure here, we pay extra. Wow. Okay. I pay a little bit more tax than you. <laughs> just so just that got, I can have higher. Somebody just got launched through the front wall of the shower. We have steel uh, encased shower enclosures. Wow. Right? Just because it's, it's meant, it was designed for baby, baby elephants. <laughs> Hang on. I'm turning on the shower. <laughs> Okay, yeah, I, know. Run. I know. No, there's like safety straps and stuff you gotta put in. <laughs> okay. It is so obvious. Look, one, one day you'll be able to afford my neighborhood. Okay. There's, you know, we have we, we, we got a higher pressure over here. We got two uh. inch copper pipe coming right up the driveway. <laughs> the fire hose. <laughs> yeah. Right from the right from plugged the right into the right into the hydrant. All right. Yeah. Yeah. This has nothing to do with anything, TK, as no, usual. As I don't usual. know how to stay on topic before the guests arrive. No, I, I can barely stay on topic once the guests arrive. Maybe they're just like uh, closing another deal with somebody else's money. Honestly, the odds are that's what they're doing. Right. Yeah, Sorry, we're serious. late, guys. Like we were just signing uh, MOI good. or uh, NDA or uh, APS. Go in ahead. the last week, okay, I've won two multiple offer scenarios where well, I'm representing one, two. You've yeah. won two, uh, yeah, because that's what you got to do is you got to win, right? And so, like, both the buyers had made offers, had lost, had made offers, had lost, and we saw where the market was, we saw where the market is, we knew what it, what you had to do in order to get the property. So both times, one we put in a bully offer, beat out everybody because uh, we knew that the property would sell for more. So there ended up being four offers. The other one we waited to the offer date, and there was five offers. And both times, like we looked at the comps and we're like, okay, each time we've looked at the comps and we've upped it by like 1%, 2%, like we can't base it off that because some of the comps are old, two months more, maybe less, but from 2021. And um, 
So this time we said, all right, like, let's take the comps. Let's throw them in the garbage. Let's fucking look at where we think the market's going to go this year and what price we need to get to make sure that nobody else brings a higher offer because we know by the end of this year, it's going to be worth that or more. And we ended up getting the two, the two, uh, properties. It's a horrible feeling. Like it doesn't feel good as a buyer agent, but the, what's worse is the buyers after a year go, why didn't you tell me what I needed to do to get the property a year ago? I would have done it. Now I can't even afford a property in the area that I want to live in. That's, you can't win. that's you a can't worse win. feeling. That's yeah. a worse feeling, right? So it's that's hard what to I'm convince somebody to throw caution to the wind and completely ignore uh, the economics of things when they're buying the largest asset or making the biggest purchase they'll ever make in their lifetime. Exactly. Right. right? It's like I mean, a very emotional, complicated situation. So these wins though, are these with, these are not first time homeowners. These are people that have done this yeah. before. One was an investor. The other one is somebody who is buying. Who's so this older. is interesting. So you said investor. So, okay. Yep. I'm noticing a trend, a, a, a change where the people on Twitter in the Toronto real estate community, oh, they're here. The people in, in the Toronto community that used to be saying, I'm not dealing with any investors, it's all end users right now, it's not yeah. investors, are starting to say like, we just won our bidding wars with investors. Yes. And because you're saying it now, means one out of two of my recent buyers. True. Right? At least 50%. 50%. There's at least 50% investors. Right. So if I were writing for better dwellings, I would say 50% of all deals right now <laughs> are right? investors. Yes. Are investors and the market's yeah. gone bananas and we have to stop them. They're evil. Yeah. But another property that I got offers down in uh, Roncesvalles today, and I got a few registered, the offers are today, and they are all end users. They're all end users, but there's a basement apartment and everybody's saying that they're going to keep the tenant. So they're all going to benefit from the 1400 bucks a month rent in the basement, live upstairs, fix not it up. Benefit. They need it to carry they, the they, thing. Yeah. They're not qualifying with it, but they're, cause it's not uh, a duplex, but uh, they're. Um, when we have a baby, we'll kick out the tenant because then we'll have more money and we won't need that rent anymore. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I think people can dream. Yeah, I think we're going to get to the bottom of it today, though. We got our guest here, Investor Mel and Dave. So That's I had, right. yeah, I had I had talks with some people who were, um, you know, forced, I guess, to leave the the, the area, the, like the GTA, right? And people are willing to drive, Daryl. People are willing. We think that people are moving and they're going to get jobs or it's remote working. People are willing to drive. If they got to do a two-hour commute there and back, they'll do it. But forced, meaning there was no other option to live where they wanted to live, or there not was with no the size of their family. No, not with the wanted. size of their family. No. How many people are in their family? Like families, kids, four or five people. But people right? do that all the time in apartments in in cities. I think the standards are higher now. People want more space, right? I think it's a little bit different, right? If you can afford the gas and the money to drive, you're going to do it. And you're going to go up to two hours outside of the GTA. Whereas if you're maybe lower income and you're, um, you know, you can't like you're a public transit, like, you know, you don't, you don't have a car, you can't afford the extra, however many hundreds of dollars it'll be, then yeah, you got no choice but to live in a lower income building, a neighborhood. And 
you know, everything in between, but definitely the people. And they're all like the people that I've been talking to, like they're mostly people who are like uh, first generation immigrants. They've started their family. They've had like an amazing, you know, life event by moving here and, and having this amazing opportunity. And, and now their kids are getting to a certain age or, you know, they're, they're growing up. And um, what kind of work? I don't know exactly, but the main thing is, is that they're willing to drive. Like, it's like no problem. They're moving to like Belleville, right? Peterborough. They're willing to drive out and move there, but are they move willing there to commute and, back and, and commute forth? back in? Yeah. They're not uh, all working Belleville? from home. They're not all working from home. They are going to be commuting sometimes every day. Wow. I remember I used to work with some people that commuted from Barrie to Maple every day. And I thought exactly. that was crazy. That's not crazy anymore. That's normal. Belleville. That's what Barry. I was saying you know, the, the other day. 400 right down airport road. Peterborough, like Peterborough, like what's far now? Because Peterborough, I mean, you want to buy a house in Peterborough? Kingston's far. Where Mel and Dave are from, North Bay, that's too far. That's too um, far. London, that's too far. But, London you know, is too far. Hamilton's not too far. Tons of people from Hamilton. Seems like people are cool with Kitchener, Waterloo, Cambridge. Yep. Those areas too. So now it's like when you're competing in the market. So for example, you're going to Belleville and you're trying to buy a property in Belleville. You're not competing with Belleville buyers. You're competing with Toronto buyers, right? Competing Dave. with Toronto <laughs> hey, buyers. Yes. Hey, how are you? I know you're busy, Dave, and, and we appreciate it. And, uh, you know, sometimes things go a little bit over schedule, but here we are. Yes. No, I appreciate it, guys. Yeah, no problem. There we go. I'll the light in. Perfect. Awesome, guys. Looking yeah, good. TK and Daryl. Awesome, guys. Nice to meet you. Well, it's you yeah. know each other, but yeah, nice to meet you, Daryl. Nice I, to meet I, you. I wanted Dave to kind of give you an introduction. Daryl says that I should let you do the introduction, but I'll just briefly <laughs> say that, you know, Dave from Investor Mel and Dave is uh, one of my real estate mentors. Um, I joined Dave's program about a year ago. I've learned a ton of information. There's a lot of good stuff. We'll talk, talk a lot about that today. But, um, you know, is there anything, Dave, kind of you can just give as an introduction to yourself? Yeah, um, I could definitely do it. It'll be kind of short and sweet, but uh, well, who knows? I might go on a rant. That's great. We love rants. <laughs> uh, there's nothing, there's nothing uh, um, predetermined with me. I'm sure you know that by now, TK. So, yeah, no, absolutely. I could, I could do an intro. It's all good, guys. Good. Let's hear it. We're rolling. Let's do it. All right. Okay. So, hey, I'm Dave from Investor Mel and Dave. You might have seen us on social media. Hopefully, if not, that's my fault. I should uh, do a little bit more marketing. But yeah, Mel and I, full-time real estate investors, our head office or headquarters located in North Bay, Ontario, um, currently investing worldwide. Mel and I currently own over 220-something units with no joint venture partners and 100% other people's money and creative financing is what we specialize in. It's our, it's our bread and butter. It's our go-to. Um, so yeah, we're in Ontario. We're now dipping into the States with Florida and Texas and Costa Rica and Mexico. Uh, and that's pretty much it in a nutshell. Nice and short and sweet. Hopefully. Beautiful. I love it. I, that's, that's great. And we're, and we're like, we're very informal. Like our shows just, we're, we're here to talk. We're here to chat just yeah. like we're, we're sitting here, you know, uh, you know, have, having a good time at the barbecue. Right. But uh, one thing I want to say about you, Dave, and just cause I've never been able to say that, you know, to you um, is that you're very genuine, Thank you know, you. The, the way you are, how you talk, like, you know, people are, I, I've seen you so many times and heard you talk so many times, like you are the same person each and every time. <laughs> and you're very genuine. 
And I think that's a really good quality. I think one of the best qualities you have for sure, because it takes a lot when you're out there and you're dealing with people. And I'm sure the sellers that you're dealing with and investors and other people, they get that same feeling. And I think that's, that's huge. And it's been a big part of uh, your success for sure. Appreciate that, man. And, uh, I only know how to be, and it's it's easier when you're not faking because then you're always the same person. So you can remember, yeah. <laughs> who who I dare? Have, I have to double check with the booking department, but I, I'm pretty sure that we were very specific that we wanted Mel on the show, <laughs> not not Dave. So you know what? I wish that was the first time I heard that. Like we requested okay. the one with the hair, and yeah. now we're here. Uh, yeah. Now it's awkward. No, and I love how it, <laughs> it's funny how it works one way. If it's just Mel that shows up, yeah, that's good. But then yeah. it's Dave and Mel. But Dave alone, eh, well, eh, no, no. Maybe good. we'll wait till next week. We're good. We've had a few female guests, and every time we do the comments and everything, it was like, oh, you had a female guest, right? But like, it's it's you know, Daryl and I, our circles and the people we deal with, it's mostly. Uh, male and YouTube tells us our we have a hundred percent male listeners, even though we know that's not true. But that's what you that's what YouTube tells us because we've got lots of female uh, listeners. So makes you good. wonder about these statistics. statistics. So, uh, yeah. Welcome to the show. Nice to meet you. want to remind everybody out there, please take this opportunity. Now you are watching the video. Just, just press that like button quickly, comment down below and subscribe and hit the bell, please. Yeah. Yeah. On with our show. So who Daryl is, uh, Dave, Daryl is a good friend of mine. He's also my like land and development mentor. He's a developer himself. He's also an, an OPM aficionado in the land and development world as well, too. And uh, I never really understood as much about what Daryl did. I'd kind of hear it and say, oh, yeah, 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 whatever, until I joined your program. And then I was just like, oh, my gosh, I'm like, this is like Daryl's a pro doing it this way. And David, Mel and Dave, they're great at doing it this way. And I, I learned so much from both of you guys. And uh you know, there's a lot of misconceptions out there about OPM and, and how it all works. And you've heard them all, right? Um, what do you think the most common misconception is of buying properties with other people's money? Uh, yeah, no, and thanks for saying that. And that's awesome, Daryl. If you're doing it in that space, that's amazing. And it just goes to show people that you could do it in so many different spaces. However, creative financing works with all sorts, all sorts of different asset uh, classes and investment types. So I bang on there, TK. Honestly, and I'm just going back to, to how I was in the beginning. Like, I, I honestly still remember a mortgage broker telling me um, other people's money and creative financing, you don't necessarily have to go to the banks. And having grown up watching, uh, oh, what's that show with uh, Sopranos? I was going to say Tony Soprano, but that's Sopranos. <laughs> having watched Sopranos, I was like, I'm not borrowing money from the mafia or loan sharks or hell's angels. Like, that's literally what I thought uh, when people were talking creative financing. So I just, that's something I want to dispel. And I'm not saying everyone thinks it's that, but creative financing is, it's like a secondary banking system that people don't quite understand that it exists, but it's, it, it's very legit. It's there, it's accessible. You just have to understand how to use it. Um, which obviously once I learned, I was like, okay, I'm not gonna, you know, get my legs broken by a loan shark here or, or have some six foot seven, 300 pound guy show up on my door. Uh, so it's not that. And then the other thing, I thought initially it was only rich people that could do it. Like I thought, okay, well, you have to have a bunch of money first before they lend it to you. So those were some of the biggest things, honestly, with creative financing initially um, that I thought were, well, for me was my reality myths for me. And then um, I forget what I was going to say. It was mostly on the exit strategy was just, I find, I see a lot of people, they just, 
they get so excited with the deal that they don't think of how I'm going to pay it back. So that's something, a myth and some, something that I see people misusing money and giving it a bad name because they don't know exactly how to exit the deal and pay people back. So I guess if I had to pick something, TK would be those things. Great, man. I think those are the most common, the most common ones that I hear too. And the, and ones I had myself, right? What uh, can we, can we uh, define creative financing? Yes. I love that. And that, you know what, I had a conversation with the mortgage broker that we used the other day, and they were basically saying that too, is I think, because I have something in my mind, you might have something in your mind, Daryl, and you as well, TK, and everyone kind of gives a different spin on creative financing, OPM, other people's money. To me, and this is broad, and and guys, correct me if you think something else or interject, but like creative financing to me is outside of the bank where you have to use your own money. You have to go to one of the big five or, you know, the, the a lenders and, uh, and qualify for the mortgage where basically you end up qualifying for the mortgage. Uh, and then the, the, the asset kind of comes into play as well. So creative financing to me is not going to those institutions and there's nothing wrong with those institutions, right? We all, we've all used a lenders. They have a play just like B lenders have and private money and, uh, mix and things like that. Everyone has their own play, but creative financing to me are things such as, let's say seller financing, right? Where there's no bank involved. You can have the seller hold the first mortgage up to hundred percent, right? That's creative financing to me. It's not going to an institution. It could be going to a MIC where they're going to be an asset-based lender or equity uh, lender. And they won't necessarily, depending on which one you use and depending on the ratios and the cash flow and everything else, they won't necessarily be concerned about where your down payment, where your downstroke is coming from, whether it's a promissory note or seller financing again, or RSP mortgages. So to me, that's creative financing, where basically it's not just the old, go to the bank, put your own money into it and get a mortgage. It's, it's kind of outside the box thinking and more asset-based lending. And I kind of touched on some there. Uh, promissory notes is something that we absolutely love, um, wh- whether it's for down payments or whether it's to, um, for closing costs, or even to, to fund a flip, right, for the renovation cost. That's a beautiful thing, pro, a promissory notes, where it won't be necessarily attached to one certain property. And then seller financing, like I mentioned, and then even the RSPs, the secured funds. So those are the three, my three go-tos, I would say, is seller financing, promissory notes, and secured funds. And then also using different types of investors or lenders is creative financing. Hopefully that's clear as mud. <laughs> Yeah, no. And, and what it is too, and what I'm, you know, just even Daryl's sharing some of the inner workings of his deals. There are so many branches of directions that you have to go. So you might, what you just named is like three areas. Sure. But there's a thousand ways to do each one of those three and trying to navigate them all or like write a book about like, it's just, you have to learn as you go and, you know, be creative. And I guess that's the creative and creative financing is finding the solution that works that's not illegal. That's not, that's above board that it creates a win-win, which is something that you advocate for big time, Dave is, is so that the scenario is uh, a, 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 a game winning strategy for everybody. And everybody comes out of it feeling like, okay, that made sense. And I got what I wanted out of it. And when you do that, it becomes, you know, a huge um, asset for, as a, as an investor. Right. Yeah. So on, TK, I, I agree with you. And, and, and I love it, putting the creative back in creative financing. And if the seller says no, well, you've got a pocket full of other ways to finance the deal, right? If the deal is worth it, you'll, you'll find a creative way to finance it. Um, I think 
I think the layman or the unexperienced real estate investor, um, until you really kind of see a few times what you could have done or what you should have done, you don't realize how many different ways there really are to skin these cats and how creative other parties can be if they want to get the deal done. But generally, I mean, there has to be motivation for all of these parties to get these deals done. So like, what's your strategy? I know you're, you're further away than the, the core. Um, are there, are, are there deals anywhere right now? Like what strategy is working today? Absolutely. And seller, fi like, seller financing is my go-to. Like every single deal I'm asking for seller financing. Um, and, and something just, because I know you guys, well, obviously Toronto, right? The GTA and something, you know, I, I kind of talk about myth, TK. This will be another one with seller financing. People always think it doesn't work here. They say, I, I hear it all the time. I hear it daily, to be honest with you. It doesn't work here. I'm in Toronto. It doesn't work here. The market's yep. too hot. Prices are... Buildings are going selling over asking price. There's 40 bids. Okay, I get it. Same thing with Vancouver. Same thing with Miami. Same thing with like San Francisco. Insert here. The market's hot. It doesn't work here. And what I kind of backtrack with people, and this is what I explain to sellers as well. And I, I'll kind of I'll go the long way of answering your question there, Daryl. But like, does it still work? Yes. And what I tell people is, whether you're located in a little city like me, North Bay, Ontario, Canada, or you're in downtown Toronto, or you're in Vancouver. CRA, Canada Revenue Agency, is the governing body for taxes, right? CRA does not have, oh, that works in North Bay, that works in uh, Kelowna, that works in Ottawa, but it doesn't work in Toronto. No, no, the rules are the rules and they are what they are and it applies to all of Canada. So if a seller is looking to help themselves tax-wise, right? Because in the whole grand, sorry, in the grand scheme of things, if the seller receives all the money in the same year, it all goes towards their personal, and I'll keep it very simple, it all goes towards their personal income tax, and then they pay it at that and pay it through the nostrils. Any money they don't receive in that year, so this happens when people sell a, a big building or even a small building, or if they sell multiple properties in a year, if they get all the money in that year, boom, they're taxed on it in the year received. If they hold financing for you, they can now spread it for up to five years, which helps them tax-wise. So whether they're in Toronto, whether they're in North Bay or BC, CRA is CRA, and that's why they end up doing is because it benefits them. So yes, Daryl, in my opinion, it 100% works. In those hotter markets, is it harder to find? Um, it depends how you're looking. It depends how you, how you approach the deal. But this is how I see, and I'm talking specifically with seller financing. With any deal, when I ask for seller financing, there's three different, uh, well, there might be more, but the most common three scenarios are, hey, I need my money. I, I won't hold financing. I'm buying the next property. They need the money. They, they, they don't even have the, they don't even fathom the, the holding financing for you. Or um, I've never heard of it. I, I don't like it. It doesn't, I don't want to entertain it. Uh, they have talked to their accountants and, and there might be, they're willing to pay the taxes because they, they might have that fear or the, the lack of education. And then sometimes I'll see the third portion is, Hey, I actually bought this property that way. I understand it. Or I need the tax benefits uh, and they're open to creative financing. So, does it still work? To answer, again, the long way of answering your question here, Dale, does it still work? Uh, yes, you just have to be able to find it because sellers in whatever market, if they want to help themselves tax-wise, and again, so many ways I want to touch on this, 
if they want to help themselves tax-wise, holding a mortgage could be a viable option to spread that, spread the love is what I call it over those five years at 20% of the remaining per year. Hopefully that wasn't too long of a- No, 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 that's perfect. <laughs> what rate do you offer them? Um, and that'll depend. You know, it was, it was interesting. Today, like today, what would the offer say if you were presenting an offer? It depends on the deal, right? I mean, it depends on what the situation is, how good the deal is, what the timeline is. There's lots of, lots of variables there. Sure. Agreed. There's, there's got to be a template though, that like you're kind of on the prowl looking for, and you know, like if I offer them, you know, their money at 5% over five years, it'll be enticing enough. I don't know. Like, I'm just trying to think in Toronto, like we just heard, we, we just read an article uh, about a hundred offers on one house uh, <laughs> like two days ago. Right. So, so how do you have, a, how do you present even the idea to a, a seller that like, Hey, you know, take my offer. It's better because you can, and I see the benefit. A lot of people see the benefit, but how do you get that opportunity to even present that? And do people consider it if you're not offering them a little bit more incentive than the rest? Because most offers today are like firm closing whenever the hell the seller wants. And it's like, yeah. Oh, just ignore that water dripping out of the middle of the ceiling deal, dear. Like we need the house. <laughs> Um, yes. Can you compete? I I can give an example, you know, in Toronto, in Toronto, you could, you could do this. Okay. I had, I had, I had a deal before where the first place offer was that much better than the second place offer. We had to arrange a a second mortgage that the vendor was holding in order to be able to, you know, get the property closed and and everything else too. And the interest rates and all that stuff uh, were negotiated. And at the end of the day, if there is more money in it for the seller and that the buyers are you know, motivated and have got a good clear exit strategy and that they know what they can do with the property and everything else, you can incentivize a seller to take seller financing, even if you're competing against 10 other bids, you know, it's just, if, if you incentivize, it's got to be the right property. It's got to right. be the right seller. It's got to be the right buyer. There, there's terms that exist that in Toronto, in this exact market that, that would work. It's just, are the, is the buyer willing to offer those terms? That's the main thing. I agree with you, TK. And, and, uh, and kind of Daryl to touch on your point is, it's not going to be every single deal. And that's something I would be lying to you that every single deal is going to make sense. No, you're going to get a lot of no's with creative financing. And I know you know this, but I'm just saying this for your listeners. You're going to get a lot of no's with creative financing because a lot of people won't understand it. A lot of people will be scared about it. A lot of people want their money. Um, and it's becoming more and more mainstream. Like some of the offers I'm doing in the States, seller financing is literally in the agreement, like a APS agreement for purchase and sale. Seller financing is an option. Like in a Texas offer, seller financing is an option in there directly into the APS. So it's going to be, and I'm just talking about Texas, but I'm just saying in more and more in general, I know we'll keep it Canadian. It's becoming more streamlined. And honestly, I don't want to offer, and this is what I teach our mentees and TK can attest. You're going to want to find deals where you know what's going to happen with seller financing and off-market deals. I'm never going to offer on a deal off that market. has the offers. Like, I don't want to compete. If I have to compete for 40 numbers, I know that there's going to be emotion that comes into play. This goes out the window and this dictates. And then I, with, the, with the deal in my cash flow analysis matrix, it won't make sense. So like, I, I know I'm, I've been there too many times that I know I'm setting myself up for, for disappointment or, or failure. So on those deals, I would say just walk away. You know, if the, if the herd is going to offering 100 on one place, you should be going the opposite, right? Go find the deals where, where there's, there's some lift, it's uh, it's underappreciated. 
maybe there's some, um, uh, the kick the can down the road, the uh, deferred maintenance. So those are the types of ones where you want to pick up, not the ones where they come on the market, 100 offers. That's, anyway, that's my opinion. I'm not saying you can't make money at that, but that's kind of like my, my overall opinion on those types of deals. So how many offers do you have out like at any given time? You, it depends on the time. Like, how do I explain this? Not that I have seasons, but I go into like acquisition mode, then stabilizing mode where I buy less, then boom, acquisition mode again. Right now, we're kind of peaking on acquisition mode again. So I'll typically have probably like seven to 10 offers uh, at all times out there. Like literally, we're throwing so many balls out at the universe just to see what happens. And again, TK, you can attest to this. I'm of the, I'm of the mindset of, and not to mess anyone with anyone's time, but I'd rather put an offer in. I put in my matrix, make sure that it makes sense. Boom. If it makes sense, awesome. Put the offer in. And then, and now it's time to slow things down and do my due diligence. Um, and then in the due diligence period, like I just had a, a, a 13 unit mobile home park in Texas and I didn't like the, um, not the septic tanks, but I didn't like the, the water filtration scenario. The numbers made sense, but I didn't like what was going on with the sanitation. I don't, I don't want to become a, a water filtration system owner, you know, and I'm, I'm saying it in late terms here. I forget exactly the wording, but I was like, I'm out. This wasn't part of my numbers. I don't like this. I'm out. Right. But again, the numbers made sense Threw a ball at the universe during my due diligence. Doesn't make sense. This is why I have nine other offers out at the same time, because if you have all your eggs in one basket, it'll be so much tougher to scale. Now my realtor friends will tell me, Dave, put the, put the caveat here, put the, the asterisks. I'm not saying waste realtors time throw out a bunch of deals when you haven't even looked at the numbers on on French au contraire on the contrary I was trying to say the like the the English way of saying it but if you do your numbers and have things and, and actually have um intent to close the deal then I would put an offer in 100 percent not messing with anyone's time doing the numbers first uh to be respectful of, of all their time as well Daryl, there you go. You got a French expression to use now. He was trying to oh, come up with on. one earlier. So he's got one now. All right. You're good. I got so more. One, him. <laughs> one, one of the things is like everyone, you said something about like, um, you know, today or, or, or Daryl was asking, how does it work today? Literally people have been using other people's money for like a hundred years. As long as real estate has been around, these type of deals have been structured, structured forever. This is not new stuff. Hold on. Daryl's yes. not asking how the structure works. I get the no, structure. No, no, I'm not saying the that. The structure I'm, works I'm, everywhere I'm all the time. You. The deals, yeah. how are the deals working today with this well, crazy environment? That's what I'm asking. He's, he's in Texas right now finding deals. Where and are you in Austin? Are you near like SpaceX uh, and uh, the Gigafactory? No, it's not. Uh, what is that? Bowmanville or something, Texas? It's more northern Texas. Again, it's recreating. Boca Chica. Um, not Kachika. Uh, I won't say it yet until I close. I never quite say it until, or, until yeah. I actually. He's in Texas. Own the asset, northern Texas. Texas. You've, you've got uh, Costa Rica. Costa Rica, correct. Costa Rica. Costa Rica. Again. So yeah. think of. Sorry, TK, I cut you off. Go ahead. Tell us about Costa Rica. Costa Rica. I'm literally sitting the laptop I'm talking to you on in North Bay, Ontario, 50,000 population. I'm negotiating seller financing on a two bedroom uh, condo that oversees the ocean uh, with seller financing. The seller is holding 70% loan to value for me first mortgage. The other 30, I'm using a promissory note from Canada to, to bring it over to there to change it into USD and bring it over there. Um, 
but listen to the terms. You were asking terms earlier, Daryl. I want to give your, your, your listeners um, uh, interest rates that I'm doing right now. And I know it's not Toronto, but I'll, I'll go back to Toronto. Or, or Yeah, no, walk us through this Costa Rica deal. Yeah, absolutely. So 70% loan to value, first mortgage, seller financing. Okay. And um, five, five or 6%, we went back. Is it times. the real value or is it an inflated value to get to the 70% number? Real value. Okay. Real value. I have done those a little bit of inflated to, to do that before. And that, and that was kind of like when you said, Dave, how much interest have you paid? I have paid 0% interest sometimes, but then have slightly inflated the price because at the tail end, I'm able to pay them off with the refinance. But this one, true value as of today, uh, with a little bit of value add already built in. So I'm purchasing it for, uh, this one is 325 USD. So they're holding a mortgage of 227, so almost 100, or almost 100. Uh, I have to come up with basically $100,000 USD minus the fees and all that. So they're going to hold $227,000 uh, first place mortgage, interest only. I think it's five or six. Again, I can't remember exactly what went back and forth. Interest only ballooned. So I don't have to make a single payment other than the 100K down. I don't make a single payment. And for your listeners, ballooned, I'm visual. So like nothing now and it balloons at the end. So that $227,000, I'm going to have to pay it at the two-year end mark and then the interest as well. So instead of making the monthly payments every single month, they'll accumulate for the 24 months and that interest plus the 227 will be payable at that time. So this is a real-time deal that I'm doing. It closes, due diligence has to be done by Feb 15th and then I close March 1st. But 100% finance deal in Costa Rica, it's going to cash flow probably somewhere because I don't have a mortgage payment as of today, 100% finance, two, about $2,000 to $2,500 USD a month. And I've used about 50 to 60% occupancy. This is an Airbnb strategy. So it's short-term rentals. But again, it's making USD money with 50 to 60% occupancy. Hopefully it's more, but uh, huge upside on the way out. And the exit strategy to pay back the lenders? So the exit strategy, this one, 325, I'm going to be doing, it's, it's not, how do I say it? It's not as marketable. And I know you're, I don't know if your audience is more buy and hold or rental or Airbnb, and I'm mostly buy and hold and long-term tenants, but this is kind of outside of what we typically do. So this one, it's not as marketable. So we're going to be going in fresh, freshening, is that a word? Freshening it up, <laughs> freshening it up. And, uh, and yeah, buying new furniture and giving that 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 touch so that it can rent higher. I think they were evaluating at 350-ish now. Um, they just need to exit it for whatever reason the seller needs to get rid of it. Um, and I, they're projecting, because I bought for 325, they're thinking threes. They're projecting over the fours by the time in two years from now. Conservatively, again, just going by um, with the realtors and the pros in that area kind of going what's been going year over year in Costa you have, Rica. You have three other ways to make it work, you know, between now and the time that that seller financing comes due, you're going to have other strategies that you've got, right? It's just, that's kind of like plan A. Well, right? and that's the thing is, is do I sell it at that point? Do I, um, do I use some of my properties here to maybe like, it, there's so many different ways or does the cash flow in Costa Rica, you can get financing. It's typically in like the 10 to 12% range. If ever I did want to flip it over, Scotiabank is president in Costa Rica as well. We have to own it personally, uh, which I don't want to do for an income property. There's a lot of different ways we could do it, um, but uh, that's kind of the plan as as of today with the Costa Rica property. If that makes sense, guys. That's awesome. Yeah. 
that's a like I mean that's a great deal. Like I can see why you're why you're there. And to Daryl's point, which I get, I, I know what the point of your question is, Daryl. Is the market is very inflated right now. It is there. there it, it's hard to find good deals, and you know a good investor has to be out there finding deals, whether it's off market or through your networks, leaving the country, going to Costa Rica. Like that's, yeah. that's so, so so so. In today's environment where everybody's talking about interest, inflation, everything's bananas, there's no inventory anywhere, part of your formula is a a significant appreciation over a couple of years, it sounds like. Um, So, so, okay, so interest rates don't really have a bearing on this deal, I guess, because there's, that's set and interest rates going up doesn't make a difference. So, uh, I guess if if the if if the market goes to crap, then maybe we have a little bit of, of an issue to deal with later. But uh, if it keeps going up, this is beautiful for 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 as long as it's going up, right? Is there a fail safe? Like for example, on this deal here, if you don't get that appreciation, can you can you pay off the loan? Yeah, I would just I would list it and just sell it off in Costa list it and, and sell it off. Yeah. And then just kind of the fail safe and this one, because it is, I wouldn't consider this maybe your first deal, right? As uh, we're doing it because we're more comfortable. The corporation we're actually buying it in, we're buying in like, basically, how do I say this? I've created a federal company in in Canada that's going to be buying different assets uh, in Mexico and Costa Rica as well. And different eggs in different baskets. And and we're going to be looking at other countries as well. So if let's say one goes belly up, another insulation is the global portfolio within that company will might be able to bail out some of the other ones if something happens. So it's just like, like TK said, it's having those couple of different exit strategies um, and having, so I wouldn't, I wouldn't say, Hey, this should be your first deal. Go buy and go like you can, if you want. Um, But it's, it's just having, we've got those, extra layers of insulation that I feel comfortable enough to go outside of country or uh, whatever uh, outside of, you know, Canada and the States, um, knowing that if something happens, I've got a couple of different exit strategies to exit it. And coast, and just, just again, for, for, sorry, Daryl and TK, if people are wondering where it is or wondering, sorry, where it is. So it's kind of on the, um, the West side, like it's kind of close to like Tamarindo and Playa Flamingo. It's, it's in that area there. Like if there's two international airports, there's San Jose and Liberia. So it's up by the Liberia um, airport-ish. I and I think as the new, the new investor for their, <laughs> on Daryl's side, the new investor who Costa Rica might be a little daunting, right? Not knowing and all that kind of stuff. If the market is going to change and if that happens to have, you know, you know some serious issues, well, you should be basing your exit strategy on being able to carry the property, knowing that you're, you've got a plan A, B, and C to maybe get it refinanced, knowing that you're going to have some cash flow coming in to pay off the debt that you're, you know, service the debt that you're, you're taking on so that you can ride it out. Because we all know long-term real estate is always going to go up, right? So you definitely should be building that into your strategy to say, hey, if my, the market changes and I'm not just going to get this appreciation this way, how am I going to be able to hold on to the property, not be forced to sell it? keep my cash flow or, you know, lose some of my cash flow and then carry the property until I'm ready to go back to my initial exit strategy. So So in an environment like this, are we like kind of waiting to see what happens right now? Or are we like balls to the wall? Money's flowing. Everybody's talking real estate. (laughs) Go, go, go. Um, Okay. When you say like, you mean Canada, Daryl, I just want to make sure like, like, No, well, I don't know. Is it different in other places right now? Like, isn't everywhere fucking bananas all over the place? Like inflation. Is there anywhere that's not like this? Like 
none of what I think you would get in a bidding war right now, wouldn't you? <laughs> and and yeah, no, I do agree with you. Like Canada's at what, 4.8 of what they're reporting and the States is like 6.2 or 6.6. It's just bonkers. I agree with you. Um, I'm not, I'm obviously not an economist. Uh, there's no way I would go to school, school that long as it's just not in me, but basically I think they're predicting 16 or 13 or 16% to go up this year. And then the other thing now that Trudeau has opened up the, the immigration, like I just don't see it going down in Canada anyway. And again, I'm not a big prediction guy. I'm just like, the demand is so hot right now. And just now with the floodgates opening with immigration, which I think we need, right. To, to fill positions. I know I've got jobs posted here in my office and we're having a hard time uh, filling them just because uh, there's not enough workers, right? So I'm happy to see those borders, uh, the immigration open up, but that's only going to apply more pressure on an already high demand. Um, so Sorry. I don't think that's going down. And Daryl, actually, I did I did a video on this the other day, and this kind of applies with inflation. More and more people want to park their money into real estate, right? Crypto is down huge. I wiped out probably 100K of my crypto in the last couple of months. I had just opened it because I bought it as like a, almost like a FOMO fear of missing out. And just yeah. uh, it'll join the club. Well. Yeah, yeah. Welcome to our world. <laughs> worst, worst possible day to get in ever. Yeah. I, uh, I've, I've got a little system in my head that I think might work. Next time it goes up. Anyway, pro- I'll probably just keep it for it, It's one of those long term. Yeah. Um, if you turn my but, chart upside down, I look like a genius. <laughs> so there's that. And then the other thing as well is, and kind of like you said it, right? The single, fa- I don't know if it was single family dwelling, but like, not that it's an un- well, it is an unprecedented unprecedented time, but single family homes have never been hotter for real estate investors. So what do I mean by that? And that's why the federal government is trying to cool things down is it's not only the mom and pop that want to raise a family and have three kids and the white picket fence that are buying single families. Uh, real estate investors more than ever are now looking at single family dwellings as income property. So that's only getting hotter. Immigration is ramping up again. Uh, with inflation, people want to jump into real estate. So I just like with those three factors alone, I just don't see it going down uh, anytime soon, just to be honest with you. But again, please don't take that as a prediction. <laughs> yeah, the, inst- the institutional guys are gobbling up all the small stuff now where they never used to touch anything under, under like 100 unit buildings. Now they are in single family and up. Like it's just crazy how much real estate these guys are taking on. And they've got unlimited pockets with everybody else's money. <laughs> You know, sure. Right. And I I think we in general on the show, like agree a hundred percent with that. I mean, we talk about those, just those three factors alone regularly. And I mean, it, but, but then there, so, so I'll always say what you said, like there's too many factors at play to push this thing down. And then TK, who's always there to remind me that I'm wrong, tells me (laughs) like, listen, just don't forget how quickly this thing can turn on a dime, right? <laughs> so, so I agree with you wholeheartedly that it would make no friggin' sense at all for anything to change right now. But like, if you read the news and you look at these articles that are out there, I mean, everybody's freaking out about a 25 basis points potential rate hike in a couple of days. Right. Not, not even like as a, as the fallout from a rate hike, it's the thought of like the first rate hike in I don't know how long 
is like destroying the markets. On top of like, let's let's be honest, like there's factors around the world at play driving down real estate and really screwing up the markets like China, for example. That's kind of yeah. that's a fucking disaster and it's getting worse and worse by the day. But like, I think the same way as you, but I'm also kind of scared. Aren't you guys like kind of like, uh, like, fuck, I know it doesn't make any sense, but. We have a cash flow matrix, Daryl. And if it makes sense in the cash flow matrix, pull the trigger. <laughs> that's the, that's the key, right? Leave it, my it heart is, at home and think with my head. Absolutely. And the other thing too is, you know, and, and TK, you're bang on with that. The other thing too is building your exit strategy, right? And, and, and I'm going to bore you with this TK because I know you know it, but should you be planning deals just for like, I'm just saying you should have a longer exit strategy. Um, the exit strategy should be built around not just the interest rates staying low, not just the market continue to go up in appreciation, because that can change, right? Those are things that people rely upon and no one can control. So basically what I'm getting at here is when you're analyzing your exit strategy, don't just look at a year, like ha have, a, have a longer plan. Like if the market falls out today, right, which it, who knows, but again, real estate is going to continue to ride up. It's going to ride a wave. So let's say if it does go down for a little bit and it takes, I don't know, a year to get back up to, to where it was. Well, you should have, when underwriting the deal and going into that, you should have basically built your exit strategy to have that in there. So maybe, you know, instead of asking for a shorter term, maybe you ask for a little bit longer. And then if you pay them back early, bonus. And if you, or if you go through a turbulent time, then you can ride that out, right? So it's kind of... So the exit strategy is not for you to get out. It's to get the investor out. Yes. I, I see it both ways, right? It's to get their money out, but it's my, it's my name or my corpse name on the money. So it, again, it, it's a relationship at that point. It's not a joint venture, but I care, I care more about their money than, than I do my money at that point, because reputation is everything. Right. And if you, if you mess up with one lender, it's, it's going to come back to bite you. So, and, Oh, there's two things I was thinking there. Yes. So it is the exit strategy, A, yes, to pay them back. Absolutely. And then B, it's your responsibility, well, to pay them back. And I know you know that, uh, Daryl. But, but, you're, but you're thinking that you're going to like refinance it and keep the property, not get out yourself. That it, or, or sometimes you sell it and get out as well. Both. And right. that's okay. where, yeah, kind of, kind of setting your goals, right? Do I want to be a flipper? Or even I can be a long-term buy and hold investor, but sometimes, and I've done it too, like I bought a duplex that I converted into a triplex. I thought, boom, I bought it for, it was a bank repo. And then I knew it was going to lift it. And I thought I was going to own it for the next 30 years. Well, the market in North Bay went up, but I thought, you know what? Let's liquidate it. I'm going to take those funds and then do something else with it. So I, I bought it as a buy and hold long-term investment. But then again, sometimes it's monopoly, right? Yesterday's dollars for tomorrow's projects. Um, so it's, I, I don't, I try not to get stuck in one lane. My goal is buy and hold to give to my kids, but sometimes along the way assets can, can, can be sold and kind of, um, change your portfolio. That, hopefully um, that's it's perfect. And I'm glad you mentioned this. I wasn't going to bring it up. The North Bay market went up <laughs> single-handedly the best place to have been investing real estate over the last 10 years, like you guys have North Bay market has just been, it used to be like just 
and we were talking about this right before you joined. We were talking about like the horizon of where people are willing to drive from, right? So it's gone out. It used to be Oshawa, then it was uh, I don't know, Curtis, and then it, now it's like Belleville, right? And where people were willing to live, it was not really past like you know the Corthas or Barrie or whatever. And now people are yeah, I'm going to move to North Bay. I'm going to go and, and start a life there and get a job and have, and that that's why I think the North Bay market's grown so much. And I'm sure you guys got in at the right time. Like, let me tell you, which is and, yesterday. And, and, and yeah, and it's still a good cash flow market. Have the cop, have the cap rates gone down since let's say two or three years ago. Absolutely. It's still a high cash flow market, right? But okay. So let, let's talk about that TK. If you're a savvy investor and like you just mentioned more and more out of the GTA, people that are going North or, or uh, East or wherever, it doesn't matter. So, Take that and, and and apply it other places. So, and I'm just let's use the and I'm just you know because we talked about it the the Texas. Am I in in Houston, Texas? No, I'm in northern Texas. What do you think is going to happen eventually one day, as the centers start to grow out and grow out? That's going to be another high. It's a high cash flow network or a market right now. It's gonna it's gonna appreciate. Um, leaps and bounds when the rest of the people discover it. like that you can apply this strategy anywhere it, it's try, not getting there first but it's understanding and for any of your listeners I'm not saying investing in downtown Toronto is bad I'm just saying you can live wherever you want in the world but just invest where returns are best and if your goal is high cash flow downtown GTA or the GTA I mean in general you can find good deals but you you're, you're odds are you're going to find higher cash flowing deals in tertiary markets so understand how it works and play, play within the, the, you know, know your limit, play within it, right? Hopefully Z doesn't get mad at me, but that type of thing. Uh, <laughs> cut that apart out there, uh, editor. Apart, that, uh, we can't, that's copyright. My, right? my, my lawyer is going to say, Dave, stop quoting people. But, the, and then the other thing is if you want a huge appreciation, buy a place in Toronto, you don't really have to do anything. And two years down the road, it'll be worth X amount more. So like, just know what you want to do as an investor and then invest mm -hmm. where it makes sense for you. Anyway. Are you guys into development at all? Is that uh... I I have not touched it. And, and Daryl, I know you're that's your thing. Honestly, I I had a and you know this when we we had looked at it before about creating a, a REIT or a fund, and I'd gone down all the avenues. I talked to KPNG and did all my exes, and I decided I didn't want to create another job for myself. So we kept buying buildings ourselves. We had looked at also buying some doing some development stuff, right? Um 100% not my, like, and I'm not saying, I just, I don't, I, I, it's not my lane. Uh, that's definitely a Daryl thing. Uh, I, I kind of know my lane and, and, you know, stay in it, but a lot of people make a lot of money. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it. It's just, I, I'm totally not a developer. Um, but there's absolutely- You're focused on cash flow and you're looking well, for just, assets that you understand. I don't yeah. fully get it. So yeah. and I'm, I'm, I'm smart enough to know that I'm not educated in that lane. Not to say that I couldn't be, but it's just, it, it's one of those, if this lane's been working for me, then stay stay in it type thing. Yeah. But I know a lot of people make huge money in development and speculate. Like all that stuff is huge. Which honestly, Daryl, if you've mastered that, then that's that's amazing. Um, I just know that I, it's I wouldn't quite call it mastery. That's for damn sure. You, <laughs> well, you don't you don't want to be a fly on these walls. That's for damn sure. Well, he's doing it in Toronto, so you know, to all the naysayers that you meet, you can say, look, I had a conversation with a guy who's using these strategies and similar, you know, formats of them in, in a hot market like Toronto. So that's, that's definitely, awesome, that's exactly, that's something to, to say, right? Uh, I had some questions. You've answered a lot of them, which is great. How has your mindset changed over the last two years since the pandemic? Mindset has been, 
Well, it's really opened me up to worldwide, right? It, it's just more and more, um, how do I say this? it's just, it's gotten me thinking bigger picture, right? Like Costa Rica wasn't even on the radar before going into the States. It's just more and more, I'm just trying to apply the same strategies. I'm not making sense here. I'm trying to diversify while still staying within my lane. So people say, well, how come you're going outside of Ontario? How come you're going outside of Canada? It's still the same strategies, 100% OPM or as close to it, no joint venture partners, and uh, typically buy and hold investments, right? It's just in different markets now. So Texas, Florida, I really want to go into Alberta. Uh, I like that uh, it's a commodity province and it's, it's, gone, it's down right now, but oil will go back up and there's some, some high cash flowing markets as well. And it's landlord friendly. So that, that's kind of changed my mindset as well. The other thing, as much as I love Ontario, we still have 200 units here. Um, it, the LTB is just, it, it's... It's, it's getting to me after a while, right? It's just a, too many kicks while you're down. And we just evicted a, a tenant last week. Um, and we started the process in May or June, right? They haven't paid rent and just using the, the tribunal against us, not showing up, but still do it. And, and I'm all for, I didn't get into this to evict tenants, right? That's, I don't get a high from that. I don't get it. It's just pay your rent and I'll be a good landlord. It's a, it's a, it's gotta be a, a win-win for, for that. So it's just things like that has changed my mindset. I know I keep talking about Texas, but just for example, they don't pay rent and don't, don't, don't quote me on this. I'm just from, they don't pay rent by the third. You give them uh, and again, I'm not property managers there. I think it's like a unequivocal, I forget the paper. And then they have seven days to pay. And if they don't, you file with the sheriff. Like it's, it's where, so it's things okay. like that, that I'm, I'm trying to invest more and more where the government you can is. kick people out easily. <laughs> no, that's not the goal. It's just, you know, the main thing too is to keep people like you keep your buildings in good order. You get a bad you tenant and not paying rent. It causes problems in the with. building. Now, now you're now you're disrupting the lives of honest, good people who want to pay their rent, who want a nice, quiet place to live, all because that one landlord doesn't manage their building properly. Right? You're affecting have, people's lives. I have a voodoo curse on me currently from one of my tenants. Yeah, what they what did they do it to your face? I don't know, but like all of a sudden, you know, my lower back hurts a lot right after she said, I'm going to curse you. Tenants are like unbelievable. It's Sunday at like 11 p.m. I'm watching a movie and the te like tenants are crazy. You need to be able to. to These are to, commercial to, tenants, all right? Go. Yeah, but still, you yeah. residential, commercial, whatever, like you in in Ontario, the rules are make it very hard to, 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 to have a, a good working relationship with somebody that wants to bend the rules constantly. They make it very hard to have a good tenant sometimes. Because like he's saying in Texas, you could get rid of the bad tenant and you know, bring in a good tenant right away. Whereas here, like you could have to like rack up a year more, 18 months worth of delinquent payments before you even have a hearing for God's sakes. Where they're living there and they're peeing in the corner just to give you another one. And like, God knows what people do, especially when you're in like a little legal battle about where they're living. Right. So I say it jokingly that you want to be somewhere where it's easy to kick them out, but I'm not really joking. It, you need that. Right. It's, it's just, and honestly, like we've had thousands of tenants over the years and, and it might have to revisit the rule. Mel and I had like a 97% of tenants are amazing. Right. And, and you, you, and 
honestly, you, you forget about them because you, you remember the stories here and there. The majority are good, but there's that 3%, and this might be a little bit changed over the years now, the 3% where they're your habitual issues, non-payments of rent, and they just sour things for a lot of people. Uh, and it's too bad, I do agree with you, because there's been some buildings where, like this tenant, I bought it in January and they stopped paying as of uh, May or June. So that severely hindered my cash flow on this asset, right? And, and uh, it's like, well, from, from a cash flow perspective and point of view, it's how much money can I put into it when, when someone is not paying me, you know, twelve or fourteen hundred dollars a month, right? So it's just it, it's it's too bad, honestly, because it hinders the entire building. But um, but again, Ontario is still a great place to invest. It's just more and more since the pandemic. It's been TK. It's been to to, to kind of revisit your question. It has been. I I, I want to start investing where investors have. You know, uh, what's this saying? A pony in the race, or a horse in the race, or they've got something in the game. Like, you know what I mean? Where at least we have some sort of um, teeth or legislation to 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 fight against that three percent. Let's say that are that are kind of hindering on the building and other tenants. But most tenants are good. That that's my belief, anyway. I, I want to give you a little bit of a plug because we're we're right at the end of the show here. Um, so, investor Mel and Dave. Uh, there's a there's a Facebook group. Um, investormeldave.com uh investor investor mel and dave on like every one of the social medias you you are you are you guys are great investors and there's a ton of great investors out there but you're also really good business people so you've got amazing marketing you've got all sorts of Thanks. systems in place there's a, there's a really good program so people can go and check uh you guys out there um they can get in touch with you uh you're doing a podcast you've got um you've got some videos that you've been putting out too. So are you, are you doing that on podcast channels or is it just on your Facebook page? I'd be lying. I got the T. I don't know. I okay. show up and shoot it. I know it's on YouTube and then the team puts it everywhere. It's on YouTube. Yeah. Okay. It's, it's on YouTube. So yeah, you can, you can see some of your shows on YouTube and stuff too. Um, but overall, like really, really legit stuff, a lot of good value. And then the community, I think that's, the community is by far the best part of it. Cause I'm in other groups, I'm in other communities and the support from seasoned investors and answering questions and different people sharing networks. If you want to be in an area, somebody's already there, they can point you in the right direction. I think that alone is worth, you know, you know, what, what uh, getting involved in these um, programs is all about. Um, anything, any other areas you guys are working on right now to shout out? I mean, yeah, no, that's awesome, TK. Appreciate it. Yeah, no, if they want to, it's at, at Investor Mel Dave everywhere. Um, if they want to, uh, if they want to book for like uh, the three, three uh, the three secret strategies, I'm sure you guys can put it in like the show notes if that's cool with you, TK and Daryl. But yeah. yeah, there's different. Uh, we can go where we analyze deals and things like that. But yeah, um, at Investor Mel and Dave, and our team does uh, helps with the social media. I can't take any credit. I don't. I don't do any of that. I just kind of show up and shoot and and buy real okay. estate, and they kind of do heaven. The, Shout out to Kevin. All <laughs> Kevin, right? yes. Kevin got you set up today. You did a great Kevin job. Got set up. Yeah, that's awesome. And if you're still listening, don't forget to like, comment, and subscribe to our show. Check us out. Give us a review on Apple uh, iTunes podcast as well. And uh, Dave, thanks to you. And thanks uh, to Mel as well. Uh, you guys are great. Awesome. Appreciate it, uh, Daryl and TK. Thanks for having us on. Awesome. Thank you.
New on CuriosityStream, uncover engineering secrets from history's greatest masters. From the mysteries of the first man-made waterways to the building techniques of the early Americas, it's ancient engineering. Plus, 40 tons of trucks speeding down the interstate can be a recipe for disaster. See how today's smarter new age big rigs pave the way for safer highways on high-tech trucks. Watch now on CuriosityStream. Annual plans are $20, just $1.67 a month. Visit CuriosityStream.com.